Part 1 of Epistle 7 by Plato Translated by George Burgess This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards Epistle 7 Plato to the Kindred and Friends of Dion Prosperity Ye have written to me that I ought to think your sentiments are the same as those which Dion held, and, moreover, you exhort me to make a common cause, as far as I can, in word and deed. If ye have the same opinion and desires with him, I agree to unite with you, but if not, to take frequent counsel with myself. Now, what his sentiments and desires were, I can tell pretty nearly, not by conjecture, but by having known them clearly. For, when I came originally to Syracuse, being then nearly forty years old, Dion was of the age that Hipparinus is now, and the opinion he then held he has still continued to hold, namely, that the Syracusians ought to be free and live according to the best laws, so that it is by no means wonderful if some god has caused the latter to agree in the same opinion with the former on the subject of a polity. But what was the method of producing this is a thing not unworthy for the young, and not young to hear, and I will endeavour to relate it to you from the beginning, for the present events offer the opportunity. When I was a young man I was affected, as the many are. I thought, if I became quickly my own master, to betake myself immediately to the public affairs of the state. Now, some such circumstances as these fell out relating to state affairs. Of the polity existing at that time, when it was abused by many, a change took place, and over the change one and fifty men presided as governors, eleven in the city, and ten in the Piraeus, and each of these had a jurisdiction about the agora, and whatever else it was necessary to regulate in the cities while thirty of them were invested with supreme authority. Some of these happened to be my relatives and acquaintances, and they forthwith invited me to attend to state affairs as being a suitable pursuit, and how I was affected is, on account of my youth, not at all wonderful, for I thought that they would, by leading the city from an unjust mode of living to a just one, administer it in the way it was meet, so that I diligently gave my mind to what they did. But when I saw these men proving in a short time that the previous form of government had been, as it were, gold, and that they committed other acts unjustly, and sent my friend Socrates, advanced in years, whom I am not ashamed to say was nearly the most righteous man of those then living, together with certain others, against one of the citizens, and to bring him by force, in order that he might be executed, so that he, Socrates, might have a share in their deeds, whether he wished it or not, and that he did not comply, but ran the risk of suffering everything, rather than take any part in their impious acts. All this, when I saw, and other similar acts of no trifling kind, I felt indignant, and withdrew myself from the evil men of that period." Not long after this the power of the thirty fell by revolution, together with the whole of the then existing form of government. Again, therefore, but somewhat more slowly, did a desire still drag me on to engage in public and political affairs. 
Now in these, as being in a troubled state, many things took place at which any one might be indignant, nor was it wonderful that in revolutions the punishment of hostile factions should have been rather severe in the case of some, although they who returned acted with considerable clemency. But by some chance some of those in power brought before a court of justice our friend Socrates, laying upon him an accusation the most unholy, and belonging the least of all to Socrates. For some brought him to trial, and others gave their vote against him, and destroyed the man who had been unwilling to share in the unholy act of a removal relating to one of his then-exiled friends, when the exiles themselves were unfortunate. On reflecting then upon these matters, and on the persons who managed political affairs, and on the laws and customs, the more I considered them, and I advanced in years, by so much the more difficulty did it appear to me to administer correctly state affairs. For it is not possible to do so without friends and faithful associates, whom, existing at that time, it was not easy to find. For our city was then no longer administered according to the manners and institutions of our fathers, and it was impossible to acquire new with any facility, while the written laws and customs were corrupted, and unholiness was increasing to a degree how wonderful, so that I, who had been at first full of ardor towards engaging in affairs of state, did, upon looking at these things, and seeing them carried along in every way, and on every side, become giddy, but not so as to withdraw from considering how at any time something better might take place respecting these very matters, and likewise the whole form of government, but to be wisely waiting continually for opportunities of acting. At last I perceived that all states existing at present were badly governed, for what relates to their laws is nearly in an incurable state, without some wonderful arrangement in conjunction with fortune. I was, therefore, compelled to say, in praise of true philosophy, that through it we are enabled to perceive all that is just as regards the state and individuals, and hence that the human race will never cease from ills until the race of those who philosophize correctly and truthfully shall come to political power, or persons of power in states shall, by a certain divine allotment, philosophize really. Holding these sentiments I arrived in Italy and Sicily when I first came there, but on my arrival the life which is there called happy pleased me at no time or manner, a life full of the tables prepared by Italiots and Syracusians, and where one is filled twice a day, and never lies alone by night, and has such other pursuits as follow a life of this kind. For from these habits no man under heaven, having such pursuits from his youth, would ever become prudent, not even if he were mixed up with a wondrous nature by some god. But to become temperate it will never be his care. And the same thing may be said respecting the remaining portion of virtue. Nor will any state rest quietly according to any laws whatever, while men conceive that it is proper to waste everything on excesses, and deem that they ought to be idle in everything except good living and drinking, and the laboured exertions made for sexual intercourse. But it is necessary for such states never to cease changing their tyrannies, oligarchies, and democracies, and for the powerful in them not to endure 
even the name of a polity just and with equal laws. With these and the above-mentioned sentiments I passed over to Syracuse, perhaps through an accident of fortune. At least it seems that by the planning of some superior being a beginning was laid of the doings that have lately taken place relating to Dion, and of those too relating to Syracuse, and there is a fear to still more persons if you do not yield to me when giving advice a second time. How then do I assert that my journey to Sicily was the beginning of all the then doings? For while associating with Dion, then a young man, and pointing out to him by words that what seemed good to me would be the best for mankind, and counselling him so to act, I was nearly ignorant that I was unconsciously planning in some manner the dissolution of a tyranny. For Dion, being very docile, both with respect to other things and the reasons urged by me, he heard so quickly and attentively as not one ever did of the young men whom I had fallen in with, and he was desirous of passing the remainder of his life in a manner superior to the majority of the Italiates and Siciliates, by loving virtue rather than pleasure and the rest of luxuries, and hence he lived rather odious to those who passed their lives according to tyrannical institutions until the death of Dionysius occurred. Subsequently, however, he perceived that the sentiments which he held under the influence of correct reasoning did not exist in him alone, but in some others, not numerous indeed, but amongst some, one of whom he thought would be probably Dionysius the younger, if the gods assisted, and should this take place, that both his own life and that of the other Syracusians would turn out to be beyond all measure happy. He thought, moreover, that I ought by all means to come as quickly as possible to Syracuse, to take part in these doings, for he remembered how our mutual intercourse had easily worked him up to the desire of a life the most beautiful and best, which, if he could but accomplish, as he was attempting to do, in the case of Dionysius, he had great hopes that he could, without slaughter and death, and the evils which have now taken place, make, in the whole of the country, life to be happy and rational. With these correct sentiments Dion persuaded Dionysius to send for me, and he himself requested me by all means to come as quickly as possible, before certain other persons associating with Dionysius should turn him aside to a life different from the best. But it is necessary to relate what he requested, although it is a rather long story. What opportunity, said he, shall we wait for, greater than that, through a certain divine fortune? And, giving a statement of their command over Italy and Sicily, and of his own power in it, and of the youth of Dionysius, and of the desire he felt so vehemently for philosophy and instruction, and saying how his cousins and kindred were to be easily exhorted to the reasoning and mode of life ever laid down by myself, and that they were most competent to exhort Dionysius, so that now, if ever, all the hope would be fulfilled of the same persons becoming philosophers and rulers of mighty states. Such, then, and many others of a like kind, were his exhortations. But a fear still possessed my mind as to how, perchance, the conduct of the young men would turn out. For the passions of such persons are hasty, and are often borne along in a direction contrary to themselves. I knew, however, that Dion 
was naturally of a steady disposition, and of a moderate age. Hence, while I was considering and doubting whether I ought to go, or how, the balance inclined that I ought to go. For if perchance any one should attempt to give effect to my ideas upon laws and a form of government, I ought to attempt it now. For, by persuading only one person, I should work out every good. With these ideas and confidence, and not from what some imagined, I set sail from home, feeling for myself the greatest shame, lest I should seem to myself to be altogether mere talk, and never willing to lay hold of anything to be done, and run the risk of betraying first the hospitality and friendship of Dion, exposed in reality to no small dangers, and, should he suffer aught, or, being driven out by Dionysius and his other enemies, fly to us, and, making an inquiry, say, I am come to you, Plato, an exile, but I am neither in want of cavalry, nor of heavy-armed soldiers to ward off my enemies, but of words and persuasion, by which I know you are especially able to turn young persons to what is good and just, and to place them on each occasion on terms of friendship and fellowship with each other, through the want of which, on your part, I have now left Syracuse, and am present here. What relates to myself, indeed, will bring upon you less disgrace, but the philosophy which you are always praising, and which you say is held in dishonour by the rest of mankind, how is it not now betrayed by you, together with myself, as far as depends upon you? If indeed we had been inhabitants of Megara, you would surely have come to me as an assistant for what I had called you, or I should have considered you the meanest of men. But now, excusing yourself by the length of the journey, and the danger of the voyage, and the greatness of the trouble, think you that you shall avoid perchance the charge of cowardice. It will be far from this. To language like this, what would have been a becoming answer? There is none. But I came with reason and justice as much as it is possible for a man, having left my own pursuits which were not unbecoming, under a tyranny which was neither suited to my discourses nor myself. But by my coming I liberated myself from any charge, and exhibited myself to be unreproved by Zeus, who presides over hospitality and the allotment of philosophy, which would have been exposed to reproach had I acted an effeminate part, and through cowardice shared in disgrace and shame. On my arrival, then, for there is no need to be prolix, I found all the affairs of Dionysius full of sedition and calumnies on the part of a tyranny respecting Dion. I defended Dion, therefore, to the utmost of my power, but I was able to do but little. But nearly in the fourth month after my arrival Dionysius accused Dion of plotting against his power, and, putting him on board a small vessel, sent him out with dishonour, whereupon all of us who were the friends of Dion, were fearful lest he should accuse and punish some one of us as an accomplice in the plot of Dion. And a report went abroad at Syracuse that I had been put to death by Dionysius, as being, forsooth, the cause of all that happened at that time. But on perceiving that we were all thus disposed, and dreading, lest something of greater consequence should arise from our fear, he received all of us most kindly into his favour, consoled me, and exhorted me to be of good cheer, and requested me by all means to stay, for there would be an advantage to him from my not flying away, but for my remaining, and on this account he pretended to make an urgent request. 
We know, however, that the requests of tyrants are mingled with necessity. By a contrivance, therefore, he prevented my sailing away. For taking me to the Acropolis, he made me reside there, from whence no shipmaster could carry me off, not through Dionysius forbidding it merely, but unless Dionysius himself sent a person with an order commanding him to lead me out. Nor was there any foreign trader, nor even one of those having jurisdiction over the departures from the country, who would have overlooked my going away alone, but he would immediately have laid hold of me and brought me back again to Dionysius, especially since it had been already brooded abroad, contrary to what had been done before, that Dionysius was again holding Plato to his arms in a wonderful manner. And indeed this was the case, for it is necessary to speak the truth. He did indeed hold me to his arms, ever as time went on, more and more, in respect to the intercourse of my manner and habits. But he wished me to praise him more than Dion, and to hold him as a friend in a far greater degree than the other, and for such an end he made wonderful efforts, but the way by which this might have taken place in the best manner, if it took place at all, he omitted, for he shrunk to become familiar and to associate with me by hearing and learning discourses on philosophy through the fear lest, according to the language of calumniators, he should be shackled and Dion administer all affairs. However, I endured everything, keeping to the original sentiments with which I arrived, if by any means he should come to the desire of a philosophic life, but he, by his pulling in a contrary direction, obtained the victory. In this way, then, happened to turn out the first period of my sojourning and pursuits in Sicily. After this I went away, and came back again, through Dionysius having sent for me with all earnestness. But on what account I came, and what I did, as being reasonable and just, I will, having first advised you what you ought to do, after what has just now taken place, subsequently relate in detail, for the sake of those who are inquiring with what view I came a second time to Sicily, and that deeds of no moment may not happen to be mentioned as deeds of moment. I say then something what I ought to say, for the party who gives advice to a sick man, and to one who uses a diet improper for good health, it is especially necessary in the first place to change the mode of living, and to recommend to the patient willing to comply the other things that are proper. But if he is unwilling, I consider that he, who retires from advising such a person, acts like a man and a physician, but that he who stays, like a person unmanly and devoid of art. The same is the case of a state, whether its master be one or many. If, while the government is proceeding in a right road according to the constitution, it takes counsel about what is conducive to its interest, it is the part of a man with mind to give to such parties advice. But, in the case of those who are proceeding entirely out of a straightforward polity, and not at all willing to walk in its steps, and who proclaim to the adviser to leave alone the form of government, and not to disturb it, since if he does disturb it he shall suffer death, and at the same time exhort him to minister to their wishes and passions, and to advise in what way these may for all time to come be gratified, I should consider the person who endures to give such advice unmanly, but him who does not endure a man. 
holding then such sentiments, whenever any one consults with myself about anything of the greatest moment relating to his life, such as the acquisition of wealth, or the care of his body or soul, I readily advise with him, if he appears to me to live day by day in an orderly manner, or is willing to be persuaded by me when giving advice, nor do I desist, as if I have gone through merely a formal right. But if either he does not consult me at all, or is evidently not about to follow my advice, I do not go self-called to such a person to counsel him, nor would I do so by compulsion, even if he were my son. But I would give advice to a slave, and force him, even unwilling, to follow it. I should, however, think it not wholly to force my father or mother, unless they were, through disease, afflicted with silliness. But if persons are living an established mode of life, pleasing to themselves, but not to me, I should not, when admonishing them in vain, dislike them, nor yet by flattering minister to them, and afford them the means of gratifying their desires, which, if I were to embrace, I should not wish to live. With the same sentiments respecting a state, a prudent man ought to live, and speak out if it appears to him not to have a good form of government, and if he is about not to speak in vain, nor to lose his life by speaking, but never to apply violence to his country on account of a change in the form of government, unless it cannot become the best without the banishment and slaughter of persons, but leading a quiet life to pray for the good both of himself and of the state. In this very manner I would advise you to act, and so did I, together with Dion, advise Dionysius to live day by day, so that in the first place he might be about to become the master of himself, and acquire faithful friends and associates, in order that he might not suffer what his father did, who, after he had got possession of many and great cities in Sicily, which had been laid waste by the barbarians, was not able to establish and preserve in each of them forms of government faithful under his associates, or strangers coming from any part whatever, or brothers whom he himself had brought up as being younger, and had made them rulers after being merely private persons, and remarkably rich after being very poor. For among these he could not attach to himself a single one as the sharer of his dominion, although working upon them by persuasion, and teaching, and kindness, and alliances, and he was sevenfold worse off than Darius, who, placing a trust in persons, not his brothers, nor brought up by him, but in those alone associated with himself in their mastery over the eunuch, divided amongst them seven parts of his dominions, each larger than the whole of Sicily, and made use of them as faithful associates, and attacking neither himself nor each other, and gave likewise an example of what a lawgiver and a king ought to be. For he established laws by which he has preserved even now the Persian power, and besides this the Athenians, although they had not colonized themselves many Grecian cities, which had been overturned by the barbarians, but merely got hold of them when already inhabited, preserved their empire over them for seventy years, through having persons friendly to them in each of the towns. But Dionysius, having through his wisdom brought together the whole of Sicily into one state, yet through confiding in no one, was with difficulty saved. For 
he was poor in persons friendly and faithful, than which there is no greater sign as regards virtue and vice than in being destitute, or not of men of that kind. I therefore and Dion advised Dionysius, since what he had received from his father had come to him unacquainted with instruction, and unacquainted too with befitting associates, in the first place to proceed in that direction to procure for himself friends different from his relations, but both his equals in age, and in accordance with him respecting virtue. But we particularly advised him to be in accord with himself, for that he was wonderfully deficient in this we asserted, not indeed in such clear terms, for this was not safe, but in hints and contending in our discourses that in this way every man will preserve both himself and those over whom he is the ruler, but that by not turning himself in this direction he will bring to pass everything the very reverse. But if, after going on, as we said, and rendering himself prudent and temperate, he peopled the cities of Sicily that had been made desolate, and bound them together with laws and forms of government, so as to be of one family with himself, and an assistance to each other against the barbarians, he would not only double his ancestral dominion, but make it in reality much larger. For if this were done, it would be much more easy to enslave the Carthaginians than was the slavery effected by them during the reign of Gelon. But not as now, on the contrary, his father fixed the tribute he was to carry to the barbarians. This is what was said, and the advice given to Dionysius by us, who were plotting against him, as the reports were circulated on many sides, such that after prevailing with Dionysius they caused him to drive out Dion, and threw myself into a state of terror. But that I may bring to a close not a few events which occurred in a short time, Dion, departing from Peloponnesus and Athens, admonished Dionysius indeed. Since then Dion had liberated and twice restored the town to the citizens, the Syracusans were affected in the same manner towards him as Dionysius had been when he endeavoured, by educating and bringing him up, to make him thus a worthy partner of his power through the whole of life. But he gave his ear to those that were calumniating Dion, and saying that he was doing all that he did at that time while plotting against the absolute power of Dionysius, in order that the one, being lulled in his mind by his attention to instruction, might neglect his kingdom, and commit it to Dion, and the other make it his own by fraud, and cast out Dionysius from his dominions. These reports, being then brooded a second time among the Syracusans, prevailed by a victory very absurd and disgraceful to those who were the causes of it for how it happened it is proper for those to hear who are calling upon me on the subject of the present affairs. Being an Athenian, and the associate of Dion, and one who had battled with him against the tyrant, I arrived that I might produce a peace instead of a war, but while battling against the calumniators I was overcome. But Dionysius, attempting to bribe me by honours and riches, to become on his side a witness and a friend, touching the propriety of his casting out Dion, failed in all of these things happening to him, and Dion afterwards, on returning home from exile, brought with him two Athenian brothers, who had become his friends, not through philosophy, but through that acquaintance which runs through the generality of friends, 
and which they formed from paying the rites of hospitality, and from being muste and epopte. Moreover, these two, by having brought Dion back, had become his friends, and from such causes, and the assisting him in his return from exile, his companions. But when, on their arrival in Sicily, they understood that Dion had been exposed by those Siciliots who had become free through him to the calumny of plotting to become a tyrant, they not only betrayed their associate and guest, but became, as it were, the perpetrators of a murder, in that, with weapons in their hands, they stood by to assist the murderers. However, I neither pass by this base and unholy deed, nor do I detail it, for to many others it has been a care to him it, and it will be so at some future time. But the charge which has been alleged respecting the Athenians, how that it was they who bound this disgrace around the city, I will take away. For I say that he too was an Athenian who did not betray this very person when it was in his power to obtain wealth and many other honors. For he did not become a friend through a shopmate friendship, but through the communion of a liberal education, to which alone he who is endued with mind ought to trust, rather than to the alliance of souls and bodies, so that those, too, were not fit to bring disgrace on the city through having murdered Dion, as being persons of no account at any time. All this has been said for the sake of the advice given to the friends and kindred of Dion. I give you besides the same counsel, and for the third time address you three in the same words. Do not place Sicily, or any other city, as a slave under persons with despotic power, but under laws. Such at least is my dictum, for this is not the better either for the enslaving or the enslaved, or for their children, or their children's descendants. But the experiment is altogether a destructive one. For souls whose habits are little and illiberal love to seize upon gain of this kind, as knowing nothing of what is good and just for the future and present time, nor of things human and divine. Of this I endeavored to persuade Dion first, and secondly Dionysius, and now I do you the third. Be persuaded then by me, for the sake of Zeus the third saviour. In the next place, look to the case of Dionysius and Dion, the former of whom, by not being persuaded, is now living not honorably, whereas the latter, by being persuaded, died honorably. For it is a thing altogether correct and honorable for him who aspires after things the most honorable, both for himself and his country, to suffer whatever he may suffer. For not one of us is naturally immortal, nor, if this should happen to any one, would he become happy, as it seems he would to the multitude. For in things inanimate there is nothing either good or evil worthy of mention. But good or ill will happen to each soul, either existing with the body or separated from it. But it is ever requisite to trust really to the sacred accounts of the olden time which inform us that the soul is immortal, and has judges of its conduct, and suffers the greatest punishments when it is liberated from the body. Hence it is requisite to think it is a lesser evil to suffer than to do the greatest sins and injuries. This indeed the man who is fond of money and poor in soul does not hear, and should he hear, he laughs it down, as he imagines, and impudently snatches from all sides 
whatever he thinks he can, like a wild beast, eat or drink, or can contribute aught to the miscalled pleasure of sexual intercourse, at once servile and graceless. For, being blind, he is not able to see how great an evil, ever united to each act of wrong, follows the never being satisfied with the unholy perpetration of such snatchings, which it is necessary for him who has acted unjustly to drag along with himself, both while he is moving about upon the earth, and when he takes under the earth a journey without honour, and thoroughly miserable in every way. By detailing these and other reasons of the like kind, I was enabled to persuade Dion, and I should have felt most justly against those who murdered him an anger, in a certain manner, almost as great as against Dionysius, for both had injured myself, and all the rest, so to say, in the highest degree, for the former had destroyed a man who was willing to make use of justice, while the latter was unwilling to make use of it through the whole of his dominions, although possessing the greatest power, in which dominions, had philosophy and power existed really, as it were in the same dwelling, they would have set up amongst all men, both Greeks and barbarians, an opinion not vainly shining, and in every respect the true one, that neither a state nor a man can ever be happy unless by leading a life with prudence in subjection to justice, whether possessing those things themselves, or by being brought up in the habits of holy persons their rulers, or instructed in justice. This injury did Dionysius inflict, but the rest would have been a trifling wrong as compared to these. But he who murdered Dion did not know that he had done the same deed as Dionysius, for I clearly know, as far as it is possible for one man to speak confidently of another, that if Dion had retained his power, he would never have changed it to any other form of government than to that by which he first caused Syracuse, his own country, after he had delivered it from slavery, to look joyous, and had put it into the garb of freedom. And after this he would by every contrivance have adorned the citizens with laws both befitting and the best, and he would have been ready to do what followed in due order after this, and have colonized the whole of Sicily, and have freed it from the barbarians, by expelling some and subduing others, more easily than Hera did. But if these things had taken place through a man just and brave and temperate, and who was a philosopher, the same opinion of virtue would have been produced amongst the multitude, as would have been amongst all men, so to say, and have saved Dionysius, had he been persuaded by me. But now some daimon, surely, or some evil spirit, falling upon with iniquity and impiety, and, what is the greatest matter, with the audacity of ignorance, in which all evils are rooted, and from which they spring up, and afterwards produce fruit the most bitter to those who have begotten it, this has a second time subverted and destroyed everything. However, let us, for the sake of a good augury, keep for the third time a well-omened silence. I advise therefore you, my friends, to imitate Dion in the good will he felt for his country, and in his temperate mode of living, but for the better. But under what auspices you ought to endeavour to fulfil his wishes, and what they are, you have clearly heard from me. 
but upon the person who is among you unable to live according to his country's customs in a Dorian fashion, but adopts the life of the murderers of Dion, and what is followed in Sicily, do not call nor believe that he will in anything ever act faithfully and sincerely, but call upon the rest to form a settlement of the whole of Sicily, and introduce both from Sicily itself and all Peloponnesus an equality of laws, and do not fear the Athenians, for men are there who surpass all others in virtue, and who hate the daring of guest murderers. But if these things be done at a later period, and the differences produced each day by factions are many and of all kinds, and hasten you on, it is requisite surely for every man to whom a divine fortune has imparted even a small degree of correct thinking to know that there will be no cessation of evils to those engaged in revolts until the victors in battle and in the banishment and slaughter of persons shall cease to have a recollection of wrongs and to turn themselves to the punishment of their opponents, but having a mastery over themselves shall lay down laws common to all and no less acceptable to themselves than to the vanquished party, and compel them to use these laws by the twofold necessity of fear and shame, of fear through their being superior by showing their strength, and of shame, on the other hand, through their seeming to be superior in the being both willing and able to be the masters over pleasures, and the slaves of the laws. For it is not possible otherwise for a state divided against itself to cease from ills, but divisions and enmity and hatred and distrust are ever wont to arise in states thus arrayed themselves against themselves. It is, then, ever requisite for those who have gained the power, when they are desirous of preserving it, to choose from amongst themselves, in preference to the rest, such as they hear are the best. In the first place, old men who have children and wives at home, and ancestors the most in number and renown, and all possessing a competence. Now, for a city of ten thousand persons, fifty such will be sufficient. These should be sent for from their home with prayers and the greatest honors possible, and they who have sent for them should take an oath, and beg and request them to lay down laws, and give not more to the victors than to the vanquished, but what is equal for and common to the whole state. And when the laws have been fixed, all things are in this. For when the victors exhibit themselves more subject to the laws than the vanquished, all things will be full of security and felicity, and there will be an escape from every ill. But if not, call not upon me or any other to take a part for him who is not persuaded by the precepts now conveyed. For these are the sisters of what I and Dion did with good intentions attempt to do for Syracuse, although they were on the second occasion, for the first were those which were first attempted to be done in conjunction with Dionysius, a common good to all, but a certain fortune superior to man scattered them all. Do you then attempt to accomplish all at present more prosperously with the aid of some kind of destiny and a luck God sent? And thus much be it said about my advice and letter, and first visit to Dionysius. End of Part 1 of Epistle 7